that's the mindset and the philosophy that I wanted to adopt because I think there is no risk without reward. Yeah. And, and I wanted to be able to look at myself in the mirror and go, you had a full crack. Yeah. You, 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 because that's ultimately what you want to do. I think that's where confidence comes from. That's where self-respect comes from to say, I wanted to go do that. I had the opportunity. When it came, I, I went for it. I didn't hold back. I went for it full on. And yeah, and when I accepted that, failure became okay yeah. because it wasn't about win or lose. It was actually about it was actually about the ability to just have a full go. Yeah. And that that means a lot to me. And I think it's some of it comes out of probably not yeah, my rugby career, which which I felt I could have done a bit better at, and I didn't want to repeat that mistake. I was like, if the chance comes along, you take it with everything you got. Yeah. And that's what I did. And it's still, it's, it's still, it's not a hundred percent success. We're not out of the woods. We're sure. hugely affected by COVID. And I promise you, if it all fell apart, I would be okay with it. Yeah. Because I know that the decision I made was based on the right reasons. And for me, that's fine. Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of the Outcome Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schiff, and if you have joined us today for the first time, welcome to the show. This podcast aims to connect the bridge between experiential learning and mastery, trying to fill that gap with a sense of vulnerability. More often times, our conversations are filled with this immense sense of vulnerability where I try my best to unpack how somebody perceives their way of being in a particular situation. I have no particular psychology background, nor do I pretend to be an expert in the industry. However, I find that providing a safe space in a conversation for someone to open up and in doing so myself opening up, it allows for this sort of organic, authentic conversation to happen. On the show up to now, I've had some, some dear friends of mine, some mentors and also one or two complete strangers whom I've been able to connect with and provide a sense of space where those conversations can be had. And quite frankly, they've been beautiful up to now, and I have no doubt that they will continue to do so in the future. Uh, over the last few months, if you have been following much of the Outcome podcast, I have been slightly dormant. I apologize for those that were wondering perhaps where episodes might have been. Life has been hectic. Whilst trying to run an edtech startup out here in Cape Town, as well as keeping myself fit and prioritizing those that matter, prioritizing family, relationships, and just the little things in life like reading, stretching, um, doing, a bit of, doing a bit of meditation, and really finding the calm amongst the storm are things that I have put at the forefront of my priorities. And uh, for those that have been following, I, I hope you understand. I... I would like to thank you though. This at this stage, I was actually reflecting upon when the podcast had started, and I think if I date back to the idea of the podcast, it is just shy of one year since inception. So for those that have been following the journey, I thank you for for hanging out with me and for being part of this amazing experience. Um, and if you are new again, welcome to the journey. I have one ask for for those of you that are around. If you could please share this podcast, like and subscribe for sure, but sharing more so than anything, the idea has always been for you to have a nerve that has been hit by what a guest might have said. And I guess that is what the aim of the podcast really is. I've always said that an ultimate goal of mine is for a listener 
to reach out to any guest and strike up a business deal, ask a question, start a conversation or whatever it might be, independent of the conversation um, that you might have heard through this podcast. And I just find that that might be the most beautiful thing as a result of our conversation uh, to know that two people, two stories, two organizations, whatever it might be, have connected based on a mutual story, I think is there's a beauty to that. So in doing so, if you have enjoyed a particular guest that has been on the show, please recommend people to either visit the Instagram site, which is at Outcome Podcast, or quite literally share a link with them so they can get a snippet of what the conversation was like. I would really, really appreciate that. Episode 13 brings you Brett Spog. Brett Spog, who's a good friend, a mentor, and quite frankly, a Greek god lookalike human being. Admittedly, Sparks, as he's more fondly known as, has been on my radar for some time now, and I've wanted to invite him to be part of the show for a couple of months. We all have people in life whom we're watching, as creepy as that sound, and these same people, should you connect with them on and their personal philosophy and their personal journey in life, are the ones that we should try to keep close and keep dear to to our lives. And Sparks is that person for me. Um, although, although our friendship it only dates back two to three years by now, uh, I would really consider him an influencer that I've been learning and taking inspiration from over the same period. Uh, personally, it was, it was really a no-brainer and it only became more and more apparent the, the more I thought about getting him on the show that it was just a matter of time that I had, had invited him. For those who don't know much of Brett's story, he is a born and bred Cape Tony with a deep loving for the city as well as the surrounding ocean, which he grew up in. Just by watching his online fitness classes with the Ignite Fitness Crew, or if you had to pay a casual social media stalk to his profiles, you may or may not be intimidated by this 40-year-old rugged stud as he moves his way through space and fitness. Sparks is a gentle giant with zero trip on his shoulder and who radiates humility our conversation ebbed and flowed between early childhood to adulthood victories in sports and the experiences which shaped his worldview on life as a result of the sports that he partook in. During our conversation, he actually opens up quite nicely about an under 650 meter sprint race. And I'll let you be the judge in, in figuring out if that had more an effect on Spoggy's life than finding surfing or playing 80 caps for the Saracens' first rugby team. As exceptionally interesting as what this is to talk about and what it was to hear coming from Spaggy, there was a moment early on in our conversation which made me feel as if I was literally walking in the shoes of this brilliant man. And as weird as what it might be for me to say, for the first time in a very long time, I found that I was able to connect with another man almost twice my senior who could relate to me and understand my journey as if it were me looking back in time. There's a beauty to this experience, which even now I struggle to somewhat really interpret and explain. Sparks allowed himself to be vulnerable about his past and present during our conversation, which also gave me the opportunity to truly connect with both of those experiences. His fitness, sporting, business accolades are something to admire, sure. However, his relationship with life, people, and just his general way of being is one that really, really inspires. I hope that you enjoy. Morning, Sparks. Welcome to the show. Thank you, my man. It's great to be here. It's great having you. I really appreciate you jumping on. Uh, welcome to episode 12 of the Outcome Podcast. It's, uh, I've had you on my, I've, if I'm honest with you, I've had you on my list to get 
as a guest for a, for a long time. And I'm glad we've been able to make this this possible. So uh, thank you for taking the time. No, mate, it's a, it's a privilege. It's awesome to be here. So I'm be- looking forward to it. Before we get into anything, just straight up, how are you? How are things going? Yeah, good. Good. Yeah. I think first couple of weeks of lockdown, I was a bit, um, I think you have like that, firstly, obviously, a bit of anxiety around business and all those things, yeah. and the, the virus, but also I think I had this like need to like do something, to be productive, you know, and, and I slowly, I got productive, but I, I, I lost my way midway through and I started to like yeah, while away a lot of time and uh, like what have I achieved today because you're not working at full capacity and, and I couldn't go do the things I loved so I was like stuck in this weird zone. I, I completely um, understand you. But I think I've found my feet now and my rhythm now so and I'm starting to yeah I just get some things done that I wanted to get done and I'm doing some studying stuff so if I've got free time I'm using it productively instead of just whiling it away or yeah. watching, <laughs> watching rubbish or Yeah, I think you learn a lot about yourself and the people you're around three months in after being in lockdown, not being able to move. Um, We've had this conversation at home quite often as well, measuring productivity versus like just not doing anything and which is more successful in a weird way and how do you adjust. I went through the same sort of angst. I was not sure what to do in a day because I don't feel as productive either. Um, yeah. And it's almost like your body forces you, or the world forces you to slow down, which has been quite an interesting, yeah. quite an interesting like period to to go through. Yeah. yeah, I've actually enjoyed part of it. I've learned. I actually love working from home. <laughs> I realised that's how I want things to be for me. Yeah. So. Have you picked up any new skills or any new uh, tricks and trades since being at home? Uh, no, actually, you know what I have because I, I was um, completely like. I mean, you might, as you might know, if you follow me on social media, I'm not that big on social media, but I've had to like evolve quite a bit in a live setting. I mean, we had to go from not doing anything live to putting on Instagram live workouts and like, it's not really my jam, but actually I enjoyed it. <laughs> it was pretty fun. And, it, and we've actually, we'll come out of this with, with a pretty strong digital fitness business. So yeah. it's been a hell of a learning. Um, so that's one skill. And the other bit I did was I actually, I knew there was some stuff um, in my studies that I'd missed. Well, not missed, but I hadn't really fundamentally understood. And I went back and did a lot of finance. Um, uh, just went back over all my notes and all my textbooks and stuff. So I was yeah. studying balance sheets and cash flow statements and stuff. Good opportunity to revisit all of that stuff. Um, yeah. We're going to jump right into that because the, the two things you brought up now are things that I've got down that I'd like to dig a bit deeper into as we get into our chat. Um, but I thought I would try something. I want to use you as an experiment if you'll if you'll bear with me for a moment. Um, I was I was listening to a podcast the other day where the host himself um, was is using certain chapters in one's life to to frame their conversation. And I've known you for quite some time now, two to three years. Um, I've had the privilege of like working out next to you, uh, a bit of traveling where we, I think we had the same CrossFit competition together. Yeah. And I've somewhat been a part of your journey uh, as the years have gone on. But in preparation for this conversation and just going through a bit of the, the research that I've done, there's a lot about you that I actually just had no idea. And I guess we never really had the chance to, to connect yeah. in that way, which, has been, yeah. which is for now, I'm really, really excited to have this conversation. Um, yeah. Going back to the experiment, I'd love to know from your perspective, if you're able to do this with me, is if you had to give your life certain chapters, right? And chapter one being like, 
um, you know, the sort of under 650 meter race that you had won at, at his youngster or a lighty. Yeah. How would you frame the your first chapter in, in life, if that makes any sense? What, what would you call like chapter one being ages from six to the next period of your life? If you had to give it a title, what would you call it and why? Yeah, I think, um, <clears throat> sure, it's, <laughs> I, I could probably be my first, like, right up until the age of, of like, 17, because I was at the same school um, from, yeah. from year one right through to, through to my trip. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, geez, I'd probably call that, <laughs> <laughs> like, my big family, I probably call it. I probably call it, and, okay. and the reason for that is, is like as a kid, like my my parents split up quite early on in life, and um, and my mom was a um, essentially her and I were like this little little unit, you know, the two of us, and um, and it was quite a, you know, we we it was quite a, um, you could say, an unorthodox kind of, you know, upbringing. If, if I go through the process, she got remarried and, and then my brother came along, Michael, um, but he's, a, he's 11 years younger than me. So for a long time, I was just me and my mom. And, and I never knew my parents together. So it's just, just my mom and I, mm-hmm. were like my core unit. And I think going to school, the school that I went to, Sachs, and the friends that I made became my stability and my family as well. And the, I've got four or five friends in my life that I met. I mean, one of them I met in preschool and their families have become my family. And yeah. it's, wow. so that, that time from it, my, my mom was an incredible single mom. She made stuff work. She, I wanted for nothing. We didn't have a lot of money. If I'm, you know, we were, we were poor, but we didn't have a lot, a lot of money, but I wanted for nothing in life. She, she gave so much love and, and I came into this environment where the stability and the structure around me was largely the co- continuity of of school and continuity of friends and their extended families. That was my grounding in life. So I always look back and say, geez, if, if I, I think if I'd moved schools, I would have turned out quite differently. Mm. And I think my life would have turned out quite differently. So that, that it became a very important part of my life. And to the point where, I mean, in my last two or three years at school, my best mate, Chris, um, he's the guy that we've been friends since preschool. His mom had got divorced from, from his mom, and our, family, our moms decided they didn't have a lot of money, so they pulled the resources. And we lived in essentially like a, like a commune. We lived, <laughs> the two families lived together. We rented out, like the garages rented out to, to a lady from the Eastern Cape. My cousin came over from, from the UK. She rented the other outside room. It was like this modern family in, in Newlands with the with the two boys, me and Chris, and our two younger brothers, Justin and Michael, and then all these like other people that would rent for like a year or six months, and then the two. <laughs> but we had such a blast, and and I have that kind of relationship with with my, with a couple of my other friends and their families, where I went on all their holidays, and so that that time I look back and it's just like for me, it's like this one big extended family that stayed with me right through life. Um, which is the, the best thing that came out of it for me. Um, you know, I think it's also where, where I think a lot of my, um, kind of what shaped, shaped my sporting, you know, life. I, that first, 
I remember it vividly. It was the under six fifty meters. I was running for Kip's house. I ran down, running down there, <laughs> streaming. And your mom's at the end, and she, you know, she she always thinks someone needs to analyze this in a dream. I'm sure it's, <laughs> there's a lot of meaning to it. But she literally, she's at the end waving around, and she hugs me. I'm like, this is rad. I like winning races, and my mom's at the end. So I think I think that was I've I found recognition in it. So people, you know, that they, they then you find out you're good at something and you then want to do it again and these you know people recognize you for it and it becomes a you know a, a reinforcing thing that you want to just experience again. So yeah. I, I went into athletics a lot. I was a under twelve SA champ high jumper and yeah. I found rugby which has stayed with me for, for years. I was I was pretty good at rugby. So yeah sports just and I found surfing. I found surfing at the age of six or seven. So yeah. those things that's just stayed with me like that. You know, hearing you speak, I absolutely, absolutely love it. It's um, it's the first time I've actually connected in a, a good while with with another man, if I'm have to be honest with you, that had a, perhaps a similar journey, or that I've had a similar journey with, considering you're older than me. Um, also, when I think about my mom, sister, and I, like a youngster, I uh, also had a very similar school setup. Very similar um, sort of upbringing from the ages of 60, 17. Um, and hearing you talk, I can actually resonate with you on like a cellular level. It's just <laughs> on, on just the, the community, the boys, the friendships, yeah. the, the, the sort of, um, we obviously both went to all boys schools. And what that does, I, I wonder from your perspective is, what do you think at that, at that age, between that period, um, you know, those 11 years, 60, 17, what is it that you needed as like a young man? What, was it, was it the structure? Was it the influence of other men and boys to like help you figure out who you were or was it the opportunity just to like be? And I don't know if the question really makes sense, but if you have to reflect now during that period, um, yeah, what, what did you think that you needed most sort of other than mom's um, guidance and love? Do you think there was something else that you were, that you needed then that the school provided or that parent provided? Yeah, I think I think what, like my mom had a very like she was I mean she was young when she had me twenty one so so we had a I had a, we had a very good relationship and we 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 have a great relationship and what she always gave me was freedom. She said, "Listen, if there was there were no real hard boundaries and hard rules," she said, "If you want to try something, you just tell me about it and you can whatever it is, <laughs> you just let me know what it is. So at least I know what's going on." So I had I had very few boundaries you know as a young kid that can that can get you into trouble you know or what can't and to be honest i didn't i didn't i naturally didn't want to push those boundaries i kind of i knew i had them so i had a lot of freedom in that in that regard at home but what i didn't have probably was was that yeah that structure that discipline that that i needed from that i got out of the boys school because it was it's like it was old school you know it was still corporal punishment around and you know, I needed that. I needed someone to say, listen, you, you can't do that. And if you do, there are consequences to that action. <laughs> so I think it was good for me be, to be in that environment, um, particularly in probably a boys only school, which is a bit more, probably a bit stricter. And if I had to, had to you know, try and you know, take a guess. And so that structure and that continuity and teachers that took an interest in me, male teachers, you know, if I wasn't that connected to my dad, they became, um, you know, obviously teaching me lessons about, you know, how to work hard, all those kind of things. And then also my, my you know, 
my dad played a played a cool role in my life where where he was like we had a lot of fun together. You know, when I did visit him, it was we'd be riding motorbikes and you know mm. flying airplanes. He was a pilot, so our relationship was built around when I was with him. It was more about fun. It wasn't about like teaching me lessons all those because he was it just didn't see him often enough to really get into those kind of lessons. So yeah. I needed something to fulfill that role, and it was fulfilled by a number of people. Yeah. Um, but that school in particular, being in that structure for 12 years, did help me with that. Definitely helped me. Yeah. So there's there's one question that I wanted to bring in later, but you've brought it up now already, and I'd like to introduce it, um, which I probably will ask you again a bit later on. Uh, in the school environment, and obviously now you just you mentioned dad, um, yeah, having that role of like fulfilling some form of fun when you're with him. Were there any particular role models or influences that you distinctly remember in your life at that time you mentioned now a couple of teachers um that you still attribute to who you are today um and if so what was it that they helped you understand or who did they help you become um I, they definitely yeah they definitely were i think um a large part of it was certain like um fathers of friends of mine so there's it's very good friend of mine, Nick, his father, um, Mike, you know, he was just, he took me into their home. I would go on all the holidays. So he, he taught me, when I look at him, he was just rock solid. The man was just, he, for his family, he did anything. Um, he was quiet. He wasn't the most, you know, when, you, when you're like 12, 13, 14, you're up to a bit of mischief. You want, you know, you, you think his old man's a bit boring and I've only really started to appreciate him later on in life. I was like, geez, that guy actually, he was amazing. He had four kids there, caused a lot of problems. <laughs> like we were always going out and pushing boundaries, but he was just there all the time and rock solid. And I think he, he's taught me later on in life because I'm mean, still close with that family that, you know, it's, it's the, the value of that, a man that commits himself to that, it, it's, it's immense. It's, he, he was just there all the time, no matter what, if there's problems, if I had problems, Nick had problems, yeah. there's other doors that problems, he was just there all the time. And it was an amazing, you know, I have a huge amount of respect and it just builds and builds and builds every year that I get to know him. Right. So I think that was a huge part. Um, I mean, my, my friends taught me a lot. So like, I think I was quite young, quite immature. So my good friends often led me i was i was a bit of a follower you know when i was a bit younger i was like shit i'm not sure i'm not exactly the most confident and i'll follow someone let them show me let mm. them push the boundaries and i'll go and then i'll go and find myself after that mm. i think kind of grown into myself later in life so nick chris um those are my two good mates and then i'd probably say that um yeah, I mean, my mom and Chris's mom, they were they were very close. They were like parents, both parents to me. Yeah. Um, obviously, my mom was, but Chris's mom as well. Yeah. So they were, they were very close-knit nuclear people around me that showed me kind of, uh, yeah, lessons yeah. in life, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely beautiful hearing it. If I'm honest, I think the most authentic, um, down-to-earth, real humans that I've come across over the last, you know, my life, I guess, um, has been those that have been, there's been a makeup of variety of personalities, various people that have come and gone or have had certain moments. And as you say, like as you get a bit older, you learn to appreciate and respect those that, you know, had their part to play. Yeah. Uh, I, without a doubt, have had my fair share of men in particular, uh, you know, sort of 
didn't really grow up with dad in the house for as, like as early as I can remember. There definitely was, but in that period where it was like start of high school onwards, where lots of changes happening, um, my male influence mainly came from like the boys in school, my friends, the older matrix, the, the, the housemasters. And like you hit the nail on the head, there's a combination of all of those different people and personalities that come in and just help mold you. Um, which later on turned people, I think in particularly men, into some of these like rock solid, genuine fathers and genuine humans. And yeah. you, my friend, are right up there as, as part of the, the guys that I know that are, are like that. So it makes sense yeah. hearing you explain it. Um, yeah. It's it's pretty Thank cool. You. I, th I think it's it's also quite interesting now because, I mean, everything's going online and you know people are talking about learning from this. But like you can learn content out of a textbook or over a, a laptop. Anyone can do it. Yeah. But what you learn by being in a situation with other kids of your age, having to deal with the teacher, that's the learning. That's real learning. That's where your social skills are picked up. That's where your friendship is picked up. That's where you push boundaries and understand that you hurt someone's feelings and you need to. And I think, mm. I just hope that, that, yeah, I think with the way that education in the world's going, I just hope that, yeah, kids still get a chance to, properly engage with other kids of their age and because that's how you learn. Yeah. Like, that's really how it is. That's when you, those friendships are hugely important. Yeah. As as I've come to know you over over the years that have that have spanned between our friendship, uh, I've always from a distance known you to be quite empathetic. You're very understanding, you're very um you're very present. Like people they feel a vibe and energy that they get off you and you're there when you're when they're talking to you or when you're like in the room with them. Um is this something that has always been like part of your character and I mean it's completely okay if it is or has it been something that like over the years you've been able to like reflect or slow down and be like I need to be a bit more uh, you know understanding of a situation or did you catch yourself were you ever I guess the question is were you ever like an irrational type of go 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 not that it's bad but just like not really thinking yeah. what it is that you were doing or where you were going or have you always been someone that's been quite cool collected um, like gentle in a way, and excuse me if any of those adjectives were no, perhaps not the way no, you would describe yourself, but no, no, no. I, th I think I think gentle is something that's probably been associated with me for like since I was I was a kid. That's something I've heard over and over again from you know elders and things like that. So I think, but I was I think I was a very anxious kid, and I was a very anxious teenager, and probably a very anxious mid 20s up to right up to mid 30s person i had a huge amount of anxiety and i think that's also a large reason why i exercise so much is because i just needed an outlet right so, but i had a i had a very good ability to master it so i had a very good ability to i don't know how i learned it it was a bit of a learned thing to say no matter what's happening in here anxiety wise i can pull myself and think through things so i i can I can find a way to calm myself to really evaluate. Okay, I can understand all these feelings that are coming up, and I wasn't always good at it, particularly mm -hmm. as a youngster. I got better, and I think I've got less anxious as I got older. But certainly, I had to learn a skill set to say, no matter what's happening internally, I need a way to take myself out of that moment, think about what the things are that need to be said, done, not done, and then act on it. Um, I don't think I've been a, a massively impulsive person. It's just not in, not in my nature, mm. but I don't think I've always been cool, calm, and collected. I think I I might be able to fake. I have been able to fake it. I think I've become a lot more like that now. I think 
as I get older, I, I've worked through, you know, a lot of things and you kind of, you settle into your character, you become a lot more, I suppose, comfortable with yourself. Yeah. Um, but it was certainly a learnt, a learnt thing early on in life. Um, I think, I think, I don't know, I just didn't, I didn't warm to people that were overly angry or overly impulsive and overly, it just wasn't, I didn't want to replicate that kind of character. And I knew I had these feelings, but I found a way to breathe. Um, often exercise was my outlet yeah. to calm me down, think through things and then react or then speak about something. So, so, so I'd like to, I'd like to sort of dig into that a little bit if you're, if you're okay with that. Um, the uh, interestingly, you mentioned the word masks. Uh, I remember listening to a podcast a little while ago. Now uh, I think it was Lewis Howes. If you if you listen to him at all, yeah. he yeah. he mentioned as far as I understand, you had a guest who spoke about the different masks that men wear. Um, or, you know, one is like stoicism, and nothing affects him. Nothing. He's not happy. Yeah. He's not sad. He's just like he's stoic. Uh, then there's different. You know, there's either an anger mask in certain areas, or there's confidence that's portrayed. But ultimately, the masks are hiding the authenticity behind who that person yeah. really is. Um, and um, you made the comment now, sort of like exercise masks the anxiety that perhaps you were feeling. I, I'm just, the, the, re the thing I'm trying to dig into is w when did you come to realize that that breathing technique, the calm down or just let me listen to my feelings or how do I actually feel? Where did that come to play in it? Was it like on the pitch or in the pool? Um, was it a, a moment that it happened? Do you remember it all? Um, no, I think I think it was probably from quite an early age. You know, I think if you've got a lot of anxiety, you need to learn how to deal with it. That's that's mm. the issue. And I think whether it was you know if, if uh, whether it was a sporting moment, because in particular in sports, you need to learn to control that. You have to you have to find a way. Otherwise, you you you, you just don't perform well. It's mm. the reality, and it's particularly in individual sports where you actually have to calm down. You have to think about what it is you're about to do. If it's a very deliberate thing like high jumping, technique is important. You can't be overly stimulated. Mm. So I think there was that. And I just think in, in, in home life as well, you know, when things are quite volatile and you've got to like, phew, I need to, I need a way to like, I need to keep moving forward. I need to keep um, my head on track, no matter what is happening around me. I think that's the key thing. Mm. Um, and it is, it's, it's, it's a skill. Sometimes it can be, it can be bad as well. You know, I think in, in, you know, you can almost seem to be too, it can seem to be aloof. Mm. It's, it's, so it, it, it can, it can go both ways. So I think for me, I need to be quite sensitive to, to how I am, particularly in my personal relationships with like Steph and stuff. If yeah. I go too much like that, listen, we're having a fight, whatever it is. And suddenly I'm like, Okay, cool. <laughs> just react and just do something. Like, I know I'm just trying to calm down. You know? Yeah, I'm trying to calm my head so I can think of it and talk and not react to this. So, so it, it, it is. It's a bit of an interplay. And what know. what is your what is your sort of reflection process like? Do you um, do you journal at all? Do you meditate? Is is exercise just your outlet completely? Like, if if you're feeling that anxiety or that frustration, do you just get out into the mountains, into the water? Yeah, exercise used to be for for years and to, almost to a distracted sense, I think. Like, I think I had a, a bit of an addiction to it, you know. I think I'd need the fix. It wasn't, well, I wasn't training because I was wanted to improve or anything. I just, I had to train because I needed the fix. And I think I, I realized that. I knew it. I mean, I love training. I love exercise. But it, sometimes I would do it just for the sake of doing it and just to, just to make myself tired and, and you know. 
and I think a large part of why I I actually you know I did the did, did the MBA in 2014 2015 is because I was like I've done physical stuff all the time, but how deep have I gone mentally and how and emotionally? I mean, and I had to remove almost exercise out of my life for two years because all I was doing was working and studying. Right. And and then introducing a lot of journaling, a lot of meditation into it. Um, and that was a hard, hard process, but it stuck with me afterwards. And I think it's been a huge part of what, what has allowed me to settle into me. Mm. And I think understanding really writing down word for word what, what you stand for, uh, how you view your life, if mm. you're grappling with something, what are the pros and cons, um, instead of just sitting in your head, mm. actually articulating it, making yourself write, write it out in very crystal clear words that are apparent to you, is, it's, a, it's a process. It's a really good process to do. Yeah. Um, and I still go back to, I don't do it a lot, but particularly when something's troubling me, I'll go back and I'll start writing and I'll start writing. And you'll see that same themes will come up again and again. And eventually you need to do something about them mm. because you can't just keep writing about them yeah. and not doing anything about them. Yeah, 100%. And I think that's what the thing is, is it, it makes it apparent to you what the things are that you that are troubling you or the decisions you need to make. Yeah. Well, that's what it's done for me. Yeah, 100%. It's interesting because definitely there are there there is an outlet that is that is um what do you call it? Therapeutic, you know, in the in the process of just like journaling, reading then the words afterwards and you know, reflecting, saying like, oh my goodness, is that sort of actually going inside or going on inside? And that's a little yeah. bit scary or it makes sense or I understand now. Yeah. Um, but I, I completely understand the distraction point of view from exercise as well. And yeah. I guess it's like, it's, it's a form of kinesiology where people learn best or study or understand best whilst, you know, flooded with endorphins or adrenaline. Um, and just to sort of transgress the conversation slightly into maybe a, a chapter two, um, of your life where exercise started becoming more and more prevalent into like what you were doing. I know for a, a period of your life, it was um, like rugby aside, there's, there was a large yeah. part of uh, your life that was around this this exercise. And for those that know you that are spending time with you, I think uh, you're, you're 42 now, if you don't mind me yeah. putting your age 42. out online. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it looks like you've been sculpted by the gods. Um, you're... <laughs> Love that. <laughs> as weird as that might sound or creepy it's like i i know very few 42 year olds that like have the body that you do um they've been conditioned the way that you have and just lives lifestyle you'll still have like spaghetti bolognese on a friday night or a packet of sweets after a training yeah. session um <laughs> which has been it's, it's interesting to see that your, your relationship with exercise has started from such a young age and for for this question i suppose chapter two of it what has movement done? I want to try and move the conversation away from exercise yeah. and perhaps movement in your life helped you, um, yeah, just sort of helped you flow through the next period of from 17 older because I guess we get introduced to your, your rugby career and yeah. um, a bit of traveling where you were surfing a lot in Australia. Um, was that a different journey that you had made consciously? Like, let me explore this. Or... Um. A lot of it happened, and I mean, you asked me in, in, in the interview, like, I think it was one chance, one moment, one, day. and for me, it was, I think you can probably encapsulate this in this whole chapter in one chance, and I'll tell you what it is when we get there, there's a bit of a build-up, like, 
So 1990, I finished school in 95, and then yeah. 96, I spent a year in Australia in, in a beautiful place called Noosa Heads. I was a Rotary Exchange student, and I surfed and played rugby for a year. I mean, I, and I stayed with the most wonderful host parents, four different families. Um, and that, that experience just, I was young. I was, I was 17 when I left my trick. I couldn't go straight to varsity. I was too young. Mm-hmm. And that, that experience kind of, it, it was the first time that you, you can go to another place and you can completely make up your, not make up your identity, but there's no history to you. Do you know what I mean? You're like living in a foreign place. I came from Cape Town, which is notorious for being clicky, so everyone knows your business. Mm. <laughs> and suddenly you rock up in a country, and no one knows you. They're like, they don't know who you are, what you are, where you're from. And it was so liberating to just be like, yes, it's not, I didn't have to be a different person. I was still the same person, but yeah. there was no history. No one had any preconceived idea about who I was, how I was, how I behaved, my, anything. And it was a very liberating experience. And I loved it. I absolutely loved that year. And I think that's what... I mean, I traveled quite a bit since, and I think I love that feeling. I just love that feeling where you can go in and it's just no one knows you. You don't know them. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I rocked up. I came back, signed up to do human movement science in Stellenbosch, and the night before going to registration, I panicked. I'm literally having like, I'm on my fifth or sixth year. I'm like, oh, my word. Human movement science? Because I was still quite old school in thinking, you know, it's like, you need to have a career. What are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know what to do. What do I do if I get a human movement science theory? I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm. So I was like, I'm just going to do a BCom. So I just got in the line for a BCom the next day, and they accepted me and changed, changed completely what I was doing. Wow. So I went and I knocked that off. But I played, obviously, rugby became then quite a big part of my life. And Steph and I were chatting last night. Probably my favorite it's a year that I look back on. It's two years, but there was one year in particular. It was probably 98, I think. I was part of a group of young players. I mean, we, we had, we had, it was called the Youngstang, and we were 19 and 20-year-olds, and we played against all the men's senior league guys in the second league, and we'd often play against Marty's one and Vicks and stuff, and we just had a shit-hot team. We just, we had like four or five English Oaks. The rest guys were, of the guys were Afrikaans, and it was the first time I'd been on an Afrikaans team. And yeah. we, we loved each other like brothers. Yeah. And we played rugby that was just free and liberating. Because no one, no one expected us to do anything. So we just went out there and played. Yeah. And we, we won the league. It was just, we had Neil DeCock in there. We had Stuart Abbott who won a World Cup. We had Ari Baranos. We had Kies Lenson. Just Scott Peters. All these Oaks played provincial and super rugby. And it was just, it was an amazing team. And... That sporting experience is something that, but it's very close to my heart, mm-hmm. and it's one of the key things that when I look at rugby as as forming who you are as well, because it's a very character building and defining sport. Mm-hmm. I think, in my view, it's there are very few sports where you have to put your body at risk. So, in real contact sports, and you're putting yourself at risk often. You know, for the benefit, well, all the time, for the benefit of your teammates. You, you, you have to be selfless and you have to, and, and love is a strong word to use in a sporting context, but I promise you, if, if, if you have very strong bonds between the people in that team, that team will do better. It will, it will just defend better. It will want to win better. And that sporting experience with those guys taught me so much about, yeah, I think, selflessness everyone has to play a part in it 
you can't win any game single-handedly. It's not possible. Mm. You need every single person on the field to do their part. And I think those lessons in life, when you, you can take that into corporate, you can take that into family, you can take that into friendships. And I think it's very underrated how people, yeah, I think that people don't recognize that people, kids playing team sports is such a critical part, in my view, of their learning of how to behave in the world. And it's shaped, certainly shaped me. It definitely, definitely has. Being part of a team where you have to put yourself at risk for the, for the betterment of the team, you have to work hard, put your body on the line, mm. do extra work, train harder. Yes, you want to be recognized yourself individually, but generally it's for the team. And that was a huge experience for me. I think it shaped a lot of what happened afterwards. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, that's, <laughs> you, that's, must have, you must have had something similar. Yeah, 100%. I mean, as I say, I think from the very, your very first comments um i am sharing the exact same story as you it's as if i'm masking the steps that you have walked in because uh, i also played quite a great level of rugby at, at marty's um it was also part of the under 20 league and they, they kind of it was the first time i played an afrikaans team as well even though i came from victoria yeah. uh, and the level of rugby was just another level and if you're in trouble yeah. you know you're in trouble because the, the boys will let you know um but it, I, I couldn't agree more um that that the feeling that you get just, you know, walking onto the pitch and then walking off 80 minutes later and what happened in that period, it, it yeah. will, and there's so many times, it doesn't matter how many caps you get or how many practices you go through in the rain or the mud or it, it's just, it all forms part of this almost like a wonderful, blissful period that uh, it's just yeah. the whole team environment, the whole period with you reflect upon quite like, quite dubiously. It's, it's awesome. Um, yeah. I'd, I'd love to use this then. Okay, so I want to come back to the team sport uh yeah. in a moment but you you've you've flirted with uh doing a lot of sports individually i mean you were a national champion at the age of 12 for high jump yeah. uh surfing yeah. is uh in in the sort of bio that you had sent me what i found quite interesting uh is that you you mentioned there that you you played rugby um you you, you ran you know the under six race at uh, 50 meters um you did that you did the the high jump but you found surfing, um, which is quite, yeah. a, quite an interesting uh, description into that sport. And that's something that we were talking about just before we jumped on about how, yeah. you know, one has a sort of connection with surfing. Um, do you feel that the individual sports versus team sports uh, in your life has had, you know, any difference? Or is it much of all the same as long as you're moving and you're getting to experience um, what, what you're in? Yeah, I think... I think... And, and if I may, sorry, to your credit, you've also, yeah. for, for in more, more recent years, I mean, you've been to three regionals, CrossFit regionals as an individual, yeah. right? And you've yeah, been yeah. a part of a team. Um, so that just also forms part of your, your story there. Just wanted to include that for our listeners that, you know, Brett Spark has also been at one of the highest levels in a CrossFit platform as an individual, um, as, yeah. as the sport has evolved too. Yeah, I think, I don't I think, I prefer team, if mm. I'm honest. Um, if I'm competing, I like being in teams. It's, it's, I do like to test myself individually and, and I'm, I can feel a craving coming back to that, that again now. I'm not sure in what expression that's going to be. Um, uh, I think as an individual, um, yeah, I think you're fully accountable to yourself, which I think is also pretty cool. You know, I, I like that. I like being tested uh, individually. 
Um, but the dynamics in a team, I just find I'm a better team operator. I'm, I, it's just the way it is with me. I love being, that's <laughs> I love it. I, I love that process. I love being, you know, the process of training together and then deciding on what you're going to do and going out there and doing it. And um, those, yeah. those, I just love the social connections you get out of it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird because it's, and that's probably why I got into CrossFit is that, is that, like rugby clubs and football clubs and they are communities of people that have obviously a common interest and a common passion and then they they do this activity together and through that activity they learn more about each other and they trust each other more and they like each other more they like each other whatever it is they go through their process mm. and when i went into crossfit i found having moved out of rugby by that stage i was like missing that team community and I had a bit of it, and I played a lot of touch rugby as well, mm -hmm. and I had a bit of it in that, and and that's been a huge help for me socially when moving to foreign places is having touch rugby and CrossFit. CrossFit, you walk in, and suddenly you, I might be 42, and there's someone next to me who's 26, but we're there in the workouts, having a full crack afterwards, you're having a chat, there's some, and it's, it's, it's the connections you make through those processes it might, the medium is CrossFit, the medium is touch rugby, the medium is rugby, mountain biking, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But they're so valuable for human beings. I mean, I, I, I love exercise for the sake of exercise. I do, but but I love everything else that comes with it. And that for me is, is the people that comes with it. It's it's being able to have a chat with you. I mean, we wouldn't know each other without CrossFit. Yeah. It's, I have a surf group. I'm, I'm on a group with a whole lot of guys and I know them. And then I've got a touch rugby group and I know those people. Mm -hmm. and you are connected into these communities of like-minded people that, that, that really, I think, yeah, I think they, it's one of the huge benefits of being, of doing sport and exercise for me. It's just being connected to those communities of people. And that's where you find, you know, your, your friends and it's, yeah. it's, yeah, it's, it's hugely beneficial for anyone. I think. Let's, let's use that as a platform to, to transgress into the next period where you left Australia and you were meant to go into a ski season to Colorado and that didn't happen. Um, you landed up somewhere in the UK, uh, where arguably your professional rugby career had started. Um, yeah. what, what happened? Why, what, how did that not come uh, to fruition? That was, that's the one chance. I mean, I, I, I went to Australia, then I did three years at Stelly's yeah. and my third year at Stellenbosch, I was injured. My knee was injured. So I literally had given up on playing professional rugby. I thought that was the end of my rugby career, to be honest. I was yeah. like, I might play a little bit, but it's over. Sure. And I'd already organized accommodation. I'd booked flights, everything to go to Colorado to do a ski season. And I had to go via London on the way. And I had like a four to six week layover because my visa was delayed. There was a whole lot of complications. Anyway, I got on the plane and I flew to London. Yeah. And I got a job at the sports cafe in Piccadilly Circus. I remember it very well. <laughs> I was the world's worst barman. The first night I lost, I think I lost like 80 pounds. I had to pay him. <laughs> I don't have a lot of money. I had to pay him any pounds. I got fleeced. I was terrible. And um, I was surviving by living on a big basket of chips at night that I got from the sports cafe and living on a couple of pounds a day, um, staying on a mate, on a, on a mate's um, floor. Yeah. And suddenly, it was like, literally, this is like 1999. Eh? So it's like pretty early. <laughs> I check in. I mean, don't have cell phones or anything. I get an email from Alan Zonda, who's the coach of Saracen, saying, listen, I got your name through Basil Bay, who was a coach at, at Bishops, um, who knew me because I played against Bishops. He said, you know, 
I hear you're pretty handy. Do you want to come for a trial? And I literally thought it was a hoax by my mates. I yeah. thought it was like, I'm getting baited into this and I'm not taking this bait. <laughs> so yeah. I didn't answer it. And eventually through the grapevine, people get hold of me and say, listen, Alan Zondak's trying to get hold of you. Will you please just respond to his email? I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is real. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, <laughs> I jump on a train with myself and two mates of mine, Richard Neville, who I was living, I was living on his floor, and our friend William Melo. He's the guy that started Two Ocean Divine. Right. So, so, so William's, William's a character of notes. So he goes, guys, I'm going to negotiate this. I'm going to negotiate your, your contracts. I'm like, I don't, who's this guy? He's never been an agent in his life. He's my mate. He's like, no, I'm going in there to negotiate hard. I'm saying like, dude, don't negotiate. Whatever they, they, they give us, we take. <laughs> so anyway, I roll into Saracens and, and like sitting there is like Francois Pinard and Kieran Bracken and Terry Lacroix and Richard Hill. Yeah. It's like Danny Grucock. And I'm like, oh my, these like British Lions and French internationals. And I look, I walk in there and I'm, I'm Brett Spog from the Youngspun in, in Cape Town, yeah. South Africa. So we walk through and I'm like sold. As I walk in, I'm like literally saying, I don't care what he offers us. <laughs> I'm sitting down and, and, and Alan starts speaking and we're trying to play it cool and trying to be quite like, yeah, you know, we're pretty good. And William's like talking on our behalf and I'm like saying, shut up and just take whatever he gives us. Anyway, long story short, I think I signed for like 900 pounds a month and, and I, we used to get a meal at the club once a day and, I was like, you know what? It was a three-month deal, huh? And I thought, I'll take three months. This is one chance for me to be a professional rugby player for three months. Mm -hmm. If it doesn't work, I did it for three months, and I would have ticked off a massive dream of mine, even if it's just for three months. Mm -hmm. I've got hold of the guy in the state and said, mate, I'm not coming. Sorry. Terrible of me. But I'm Next time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That three months turned into, into four years at the club. So it was yeah. it was a... A serendipitous thing. I think that I, I'm, I always still pinch myself. I mean, I remember running out, literally standing at the back and looking at the players in front of me because I was fullback going, how did I get you? I mean, like you look around and there's 25,000 people in the yeah. seats and you, you got all these internationals around and literally they were like the Chelsea of, at that stage, Chelsea was like the glitterati mm. of, you know, of, of English football. And we had an incredible squad. And, and I always, I, to be honest, I always felt a bit out of place. And I think it, it actually, it, it, I, I questioned myself too much in my rugby career. I never, to play sport at that level, you've got to 100% know that you belong there. You mm. absolutely 100% know that you, have, you, you need to know that to be good. Yeah. Right. And I was, I was good. I knew I was good enough to be there. But I didn't, I think I questioned myself too much. Um, and it was ultimately my undoing and not going further. I mean, I played at a high level. I played 80 games for Saracens. Yeah. Um, what was, it was good. What I, was that questioning? If you don't mind me asking, what, what was it though? Was it your, was it ability? Was it career in it? Was it the injury? Um, I think, I don't know. I think, I think naturally I'm, I'm not, I'm not like, I'm not like a completely, let me go in there and I'm just going to own this. It's not, it's not my character. So I need to know that, 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 I don't want to over talk. I'm going to shit talk. I'm like, this is what, this is what I'm going to do. Mm. I'm going to go out there and do it to the best of my ability. And when I rocked up, I think because I hadn't come the traditional route of, you know, province under 19, I never played Craven Week. I was too young. I was small, you know, so I kind of developed a bit later. So I had this kind of 
question mark at the back of my head when I arrived. Sure, if they really knew that I didn't come through that route, then they wouldn't think I was that good. It was it was rubbish when right. I looked back at it. Right. Because the first year I played, I, I played the best rugby out of all of the years because I was playing completely once again free. Yeah. Like there was no there was pressure, but it was also like, well, you know, this is I'm here, I may as well give it a full crack. Yeah. The year after this, I was like, okay, cool, actually I'm quite good now, and I need to get like quite hectic. <laughs> that was wrong. I should have been played free from the beginning. I should have used the confidence of that and, and allowed allowed me to go, you know, push on a bit further. Mm. So it is I always look back and I'm very I'm so grateful I got that chance. I re- and I'm and I'm I'm always proud that I took that chance. You know, not not only to say you know, I didn't go to the States, but in that three months, I hadn't played rugby for a year. I'd been injured for a year. I, t- I got fit. I got healthy. And I took the chance. Yeah. I was like, I knew there would be only one. And, and I took it. And it was a big learning for me to go, you know what? Sometimes you just need to take something by the scrap of the neck and go for it. Just and back yourself and, and it'll work out. <laughs> Four years, 80 caps later, you played at yeah. one of the best clubs in the world. Um, which arguably today is like a barbarians club. I mean, you look at it, they just got these exceptional, exceptional talent just flooding that club. Um, yeah, man, that's that's incredible. I wonder if, so those, those periods, I mean, you're playing in a massive stadium with all these incredible human beings. And I want to try and link this back to what we were talking about slightly earlier around mindset. Um, yeah. And, you know, breathing in like high pressure situations. You've arguably, arguably been in some pretty intenseful uh, yeah. high-pressure situations, not only on the rugby pitch with the Saracens, but you know whether you're in a barrel on a, on a surfboard or in some sort of business meeting. Do you have a particular routine around preparation, or do you have some sort of like methodology? Like this is now me about to enter into a high-stake situation. I'm gonna visualize and breathe, or do you kind of react when it comes about? If that makes sense. I think I think I used to react a lot more, so. I think I've learned to put probably a bit of a process now. In fact, I had that process yesterday because we went, we went walking up um, India Fenster yesterday mm. and I'm, I'm terrible with heights. And Fitness-wise or um, just you don't like them? <laughs> no, I hate heights. I, 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 oh, heights. I, I thought you said heights. heights. Yeah, <laughs> okay. no, I love heights. <laughs> I hate heights. Right. <laughs> and there's a bit where you have to, there's a couple of bits where you have to like, you know, scramble up. But, yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's a, Part of me is wanting to learn it because I'm, I'm wanting to surf bigger waves and I'm not, I'm not great in big waves. So I'm, a bit of me is like, I need a process to come to acknowledge that yes, there's fear. Yes, there is anxiety. But the best way to move through that, because if you allow that to overcome your ability to, to move forward in the moment, that's that's where the risk lies. Mm. The biggest risk is in a, is in allowing is, is 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 panic. That's the biggest risk in any of those situations. And I know I'm not a big wave surfer. I never will be. But it's always relative to to what to where your ability is. So for me, big wave surfing might be eight foot. Do you know what I mean? Mm. At that threshold, my anxiety or my fear in surfing guns. I, I know I want to move past that. And the exact same thing for climbing yesterday i reached this point and i was like cool I'm, i can feel it it's in there i can i can i understand it conceptually i know what this is i have language for it i can talk about it i can articulate it but i also know that if i allow it to overcome me right now it is the worst thing for me it's it's 
it, it overcomes your physical ability, your cognitive ability. Mm. So you acknowledge it, you feel it, but you just, I, I, I just can keep it at a level where you can still operate and you can still perform. Mm. And I think that's, that's the key part. Um, I'm actually super interested at the moment, listening to a couple of the big wave surfers about their process. And none of them ever says, I'm not scared. They all acknowledge I have fear mm. and yet they still do it. And so I think it's, it's, it's always there. Yeah. It's always be there. And it's, it's, it's having a process of, of, of knowing that it's there, knowing what your thresholds are, but a real understanding that if I allow panic to set in, that is the worst thing for me. If you will, I'd, I'd like to try and humanize Brett Spark, right? Because right now, um, you, you've probably dealt with some serious situations, like, just like you alluded to, and you've been able to overcome them. You've been able to keep your cool and not let it, that panic take over. Has there been a moment in life, uh, in recent years or in the past, where something had taken over you? And if so, like, how did you deal with it? What happened? Um, I think... I think probably, probably early on in, 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 I mean, in rugby, I mean, I was properly, properly, I mean, rolling into my first couple of games at Terry's, you know, I was marking, I was weighed 79 kilograms, 80 kilograms, and there are people that are 100, 110 kilograms mm. opposite me. And you allow, you know, you allow your emotions and everything inside you to, to overcome you and you, you perform badly. Mm. It's, it's, it's a, and it happens. Like you, you, you allow you, those thoughts, those fears, those things to creep up on you. And I definitely, a lot of time in in, in sporting, um, you know, settings have allowed that to happen. And I've got better at it over time. Um, I think there's a couple of times in in the water where I've been a bit out of my depth. Where, where particularly, I went on a trip to the Mentawise, and it got pretty pretty big once or twice. Um, and I got held down for, you know, two waves over the head and, and you, you, you can panic. And I got spooked. I had to, like, I took a, took a wave there where it rolled me, snapped my board, ripped my t-shirt off, ripped my booty off. Um, it, I, I was right underwater for a two wave hold down. It was like 10, 12 foot. It was, it was proper. And I came up out of that and I was completely spooked, complete. I couldn't surf. I got back on the boat. I didn't surf for two days and I'm mm. on a boat trip. And I think it was the, the acknowledgement that sometimes, you know, there can be high risk situations. Like mm -hmm. that is what it is. Yeah. But if you can prepare well and you, you, you understand that you do, those situations may come, you think through them, you, 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 you actually think through what might happen, all those scenarios. And when they happen, you know that you, you are the best prepared you can be for them. Yeah. Um, and I can take that. You know, you take that into business. You take that into meetings. You take you. What are the things that can happen? Jeez, this this might not go well. This might be a very confrontational conversation. This might, you know. And what's the worst thing can happen? Well, I completely lose my temper and we shout at each other. And okay, well, let's try not to let that happen. Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of learnings can be taken out of of, of that into other aspects of your life. Hundred percent. And you, you just alluded to it right now. Um, I was just uh, my thinking was. Uh, has there been anything that you have learned, you know, from that experience underwater, twelve foot, or um, when you have one hundred and ten kg prop running at you down the touchline? <laughs> um, 
that you've been able to translate into like life learnings? Um, has there been a, a moment where you're like, okay, let's not do that again. And I, I, I am going to better prepare myself by spending more time in the gym or not taking away that I'm just not intuitively feeling. Um, have, have you been able to like make that connection quite, quite, quite often? Um, I think it's around mindset. So it's a, I, less around specific instances. So I think I'd like to think that I, I live life with a certain philosophy and that philosophy for me encourages pushing my boundaries. So let's just, let's just talk about it in a sporting context. So, so in my sporting context, I'm like, I want to engage with the world physically at quite a, at, to the maximum of my level mm. and, and push those boundaries. And that might be whatever those boundaries are for me in surfing, CrossFit, rugby, touch, whatever it is. I'd like to have that same philosophy to other parts of my life. I think it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a good philosophy that for me, it's a, it's a philosophy that fits for me. So in business, I, I approach it the same way to say, okay, um, I have this, passion for for fitness i wanted to make that into my kind of business and i pushed my boundaries my mental physical or mental emotional boundaries by doing a degree like the mba over two years while working i was like i needed to push that limit for myself to understand was i capable i was scared of doing it beforehand i knew it was going to be tough Mm. it was something that took away a lot of things that i loved you know i had to spend way more time working Mm. But it was the mindset behind it to say, I want to go and do that. And I want to go and take that off because I know it's going to be hard and it's going to push me and there'll be better. I'll come up the other end a different person. And similarly for, for business, I was, I only wanted one chance. And the, when you asked me that question, I thought one chance is, does encapsulate me because it took me 25 years to find the opportunity to invest in a business in, fit, in fitness. And 25 years, I didn't think about it 25 years ago. I'm saying that I started training and taking training seriously and loving training 25 years ago and knowing that I wanted to work in that industry. Mm-hmm. I had a chance at when I was 18 to do human movement science and I panicked a bit knowing, oh, well, let me do business. So it took me away from that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I found my way back into it later on in life because I wanted to invest in health and fitness. Mm-hmm. And when the chance came, it took me... It was a conversation, a serendipitous conversation once again that led me to this opportunity. And when it came, I was all in. I was like, mate, you, you, can't, you can't say to myself, this is my internal dialogue saying, Brett, you can't claim to want to do this. You can't say this is the thing you want to do and you talk about it and, talk, and when the chance comes, pull back. It's not, it's when it comes, you've got to go forward and you've got to go forward with everything you've got. And I did. I put everything I had. I mean, I was like, it's make or break for me, man. Yeah. And and I wanted it to be that way. I wanted it because that's the mindset and the philosophy that I wanted to adopt. Because I think there is no risk without reward. Yeah. And and I wanted to be able to look at myself in the mirror and go, you had a full crack. Yeah. You 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 because that's ultimately what you want to do. I think that's where confidence comes from. That's where self-respect comes from to say I wanted to go do that. I had the opportunity. When it came, I I went for it. I didn't hold back. I went for it full on. And yeah, 
And when I accepted that, failure became okay yeah. because it wasn't about win or lose. It was actually about it was actually about the ability to just have a full go. Yeah. And, and that that means a lot to me. And I think it's some of it comes out of probably not yeah, my rugby career, which which I felt I could have done a bit better at, and I didn't want to repeat that mistake. I was like, if the chance comes along, you take it with everything you got. Yeah. And that's what I did. And it's still it's, it's still it's not a hundred percent success. We're not out of the woods. We're sure. hugely affected by COVID. And I promise you, if it all fell apart, I would be okay with it. Yeah. Because I know that the decision I made was based on the right reasons. And for me, that's fine. I'm not sure if the following question, if the if hearing you talk about this, so in my sort of look, sort of humble opinion, hearing you speak, it's 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 been a long time in the making. And again, in the research for this, 25 years where it wasn't necessarily the end goal that you were chasing, but when the chance came around, you jumped at it. And it yeah. came from a moment, there was a conversation that you hadn't planned, it was organic. And now, you, like you said, you're very comfortable with sort of where it transgresses into. Um, I, I, the thing I'm trying to, or trying to formulate is, um, how, how did you become comfortable in make, what, what is it that you're chasing is essentially what I'm try, I think I'm trying to ask because I know many people and myself included that you have, we have ideas and there's this the opportunity to make a decision, but we're, we're a struggle in, in fear or maybe it's not the right moment or it doesn't feel right, but it's emotional versus like what's rationally right. Does it make financial sense? Um, yet yours has been like, you know, a long time, long time in the making. Is it, is it, is this something that you're, you're chasing with this new business venture that you're on? Um, or is it just to simply have that feeling of fulfillment in what you're doing? It's like, regardless if it's successful or not, whatever that might mean, I know in my heart of hearts that it's, I, I took that chance and you're completely okay with just that. Or is there more to it? Like, um, no, I, I, no, listen, I, I, I'd be completely, it'd be, yeah, I'd be a fool to say that I didn't, I didn't, I had a certain criteria and, and, and it wasn't a, it wasn't a knee jerk. I'm like, I'm all in. I had criteria that once again, I'd written down. I'd, I'd, so when the opportunity came, it had to be in health and fitness. It had to be scalable. I had to have equity. Um, those were my three key things. And I was like, Mitch, it fulfills all three of these. Mm -hmm. Like, so, and, and is there something else? Absolutely. Yes. I was like, I want to invest in something I can grow and it earns, you know, I can, obviously earn money out of it and all those things that come along. I, I mean, I didn't, all the studying to try and get a, you know, to invest in something that obviously earned money over a long you know, period of time. And we want to sell the business in the future and we'd make a lot of money. And that, that is a, probably the normal reason for doing things. But ultimately I knew it was more about understanding where, what my internal philosophy was and being able to live that philosophy. Mm. And I think that's where integrity comes in as in what you think, what you say and what you do are aligned. And what I was thinking, what I was saying were, were I want to do this. I want to go invest in health fitness. I'd like a chance. And when the chance came along, I had to do it. It was like, mate, this is what you've, you've been waiting for this. Now it, it met all those criteria because it was scalable. You could earn money, you know, quite a lot of money over a long time if it was successful. But it was 
for me, it was always more about the, the, the decision up front that win or lose, um, success or failure, would I be able to look myself in the mirror at the end of the day and say, mate, well done, you had a full crack. Mm -hmm. And that's, I knew I could. And once I knew that, I could completely freely, you know, invest pretty much most of my, most of my life's earnings up until then into the business, yeah. very early stage. You know, we had we had one gym open. Well, actually, we just opened the second gym. We, you know, we there were the, the the founder was on a huge capital raise. We were a rollout up to twenty gyms. We're now at we're now at nine, about to open our tenth. Mm. I could see it, but it was still it's a high risk to put all of your everything you've earned into this. Yeah. I was like, man, it's time. It's this is it. And and as I said, it's it's it was more about. Just being able to look myself in the eye and say, cool, you asked for it. It's the universe, whatever philosophy you want to believe in, mm. delivered the opportunity. Now you can't shy away. you got to go for it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, moving the conversation slightly into sort of the last-ish chapter to kind of to where we are now. That six, seven years ago where you said you were chasing uh, or seeking a, a mental and spiritual challenge or growth, and the, yeah. the physical challenge and growth sort of has always been there. It's been part of your DNA. But that, that mental and spiritual challenge and growth, is that something that you, you had in, that, in, that, in sort of the language to say, I need to fulfill other parts of my life, um, and therefore I'm going to go study my MBA, or I'm going to start like, looking at life slightly different? Or was it, was it a, a person that helped draw you closer to making that realization? Uh, I'm, I guess um, I'm trying to figure out like how did that trans how did that come into being? Was it just a matter of time? Do you think? I, I don't know if the question really makes sense, uh, but exploring I, that. I think I think I probably I knew I wanted to study a bit further. I'd probably been considering an MBA for quite a long time, a good couple of years. Um, I I knew I needed another challenge, and and I knew that challenge. I didn't want it to be another physical challenge. I felt like I'd done that. I pushed my myself, my body physically to where to where my, my abilities were from CrossFit, from rugby, from all those things. Mm. I was like, I can't keep on. That, that's not the only challenge in life, you know. There are other challenges, and and I I, I moved from I lived in Johannesburg for about nearly seven years, and I moved back to Cape Town. I joined a small agency, and when I joined the agency. A person, a guy called Mark Tudor, who actually became a, probably a big mentor to me. And one of the mentors that I looked to from a leadership point of view and the way that he was with people, more specifically, he's super bright, but he just just the way he was with people, I really warmed to him and, and, and I res he resonated with me. And he said, listen, Fred, if you join, he'd done the executive MBA at UCT. And he said, I will we'll pay 50-50, you pay 50, and we'll allow you to do it because you need quite a bit of time off work to do it. You need six weeks. No, it's, it's in two-week blocks, mm. um, uh, five times a year. Uh, it's over, and that's two years. So I was like, you know what? Here's a person who's, who's he's done it before. He can, um, I respect him. I trust him already. I've only just met him. Um, he, like there was just a resonance with him. And, and, and he explained to me what the, what the, what the, um, the executive MBA is quite different to the MBA. So the MBA is quite, um, it gives you the tools and it tests you on those tools. So you write exams and, and, and whereas the executive MBA, I was already 
I was already 37 at that stage. Um, it's a, a slightly for an older, older executive. Mm. I was one, probably one of the youngest in the class. We had people there probably in their mid-50s on, on the executive MBA. Um, and it, it assumes that you, you know a lot of the tools. It wants to test you as a person. It wants to round you as a person. So it's actually interesting. And that's why when I read about the course, it's what attracted me to it. And that's why I say it was a, it was a intellectual as well as a spiritual journey. Because a lot of the, the inf- about 30 to 40% of that, that, that class is journaling, it's meditation, it's interesting, uh, crazy stuff. I mean, we, we, we had, like, imagine this, the MBA, imagine this. We, you had like 60 type A, mostly type A people in the room. And they put music on and they ask you to just dance like no one's looking. Okay. So now you like you're dancing around. Then they ask you to dance with people, male, female. It, this is the kind of stuff you do. And it's but what it does is it, it starts to to break down a lot of preconceived notions about how you need to be. Um, and 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 I think I wanted a learning experience that I went in one way and came out another way. It wasn't about the facts and figures and things that I learned in my head. I wanted to emerge as a different human being in how I viewed the world, how the decisions that I made. Mm. And in order to have that transformative process, you can't learn it out of a book. You need to learn it out of a process. And they put you through a hard process. I mean, the best experiences are at, you know, 11.30 p.m. or 1 a.m. in the morning where you're in a room with five different people and none of you know how to answer the question properly. You're arguing and eventually you're like, guys, we need to work together and sort this thing out and submit something because it needs to be in by 8 a.m. in the morning. That's the learning. Yeah. That's where the learning takes place. Give, take, negotiate, help, don't help. <laughs> who, who cares what the answer was, yeah. to be honest, because they don't. They want to know that you, you, you found a way to work with a person with a completely different skill set, a different philosophy on life, a different background, you found a way to work together. And that was a transformative process for me. And I think the other part was a real understanding of how I wanted to behave in the world afterwards. Mm -hmm. It was a hard process. I had to acknowledge a lot of things that I didn't like about myself, to be honest. But it, it gave me a framework and a language to say, okay, cool. I now understand how I'd like to be. And I still try and aspire to those things. I don't get them right all the time. Mm. But I have a very a much clearer view on how I'd like to be. Mm. And and I wouldn't have been able to make the Ignite decision with the freedom and the conviction that I did without knowing that, without knowing this is how I am, this is how I want to be in the world. And when the opportunity comes, I knew. I was like, this is, you, you said you wanted to be this kind of person. And this is the opportunity that allows you to express that. You've got to go. Right? Mm. You, can't, you can't hold back now. And I promise you, if the, Ignite, if the Ignite opportunity had come before it, I would have questioned it. I would have backed off. I would have been scared. I would have not known why. And it, 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 it had to happen in the sequence that it happened. Yeah. And, and I think that's part of the, the joy of life is, you know, you, you kind of often only understand things looking back. You know, jeez, you know what? That came at the right time, you know? Yeah. 
it, it had to happen in that way. It couldn't have happened in another sequence. Yeah. So a large part of this podcast, right, is for li the listeners and audience to um, not only learn for the sake of consumption, but to hear your story and have, have this transform transformative process and experience. Um, but I guess one thing I try to to instill into those who, who have paid uh, much attention to the, the episodes prior is also learning for the sake of application. Um, now, this process that you went through um, for the executive MBA is very intimate. It's, it was part of your journey. Yeah. And you say, if you, weren't, if you didn't go through it, you wouldn't have been ready for the Ignite decision. But I wonder if you could put your sort of coach's whistle on and you had to be on the sideline. And if you were talking to an audience or if you're talking to, say, me or someone else who was, who was looking to to break down those notions of whatever we perceive to be important and, you know, just dance with someone we don't know. Is, yeah. is there something that you could advise or is there a, a lesson that you learned that we could help fast track our growth, you know, without necessarily going through that executive MBA experience? Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, I, th I think the key thing that I learned and, and once it, I, I, I get, I get nervous in, in being generalist when it comes to philosophies. I, I think everyone's individuals, but I'm going to tell you from my view on, on what it was. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I sat in a room, once again, you, you, you're in a room, you're doing the premier business um, degree on the whole continent. I mean, it, it, the executive MBA is, is the pinnacle of it. So you go into it thinking, geez, you know, I'm going to be around the smartest human beings and I'm going to be the... and what I learned is that everyone, like often none of us knew what the answers were. Everyone, everyone has their challenges. Everyone has their blind spots. You should go into anything just knowing that not everyone has the answers. Mm. I think the other thing I learned was, <laughs> and it's just a hard thing to say, but there are no real rules. Like the only real rules are science. Like, Gravity is a rule. Gravitation <laughs> of the Earth is a rule. These are rules. The rest is all made up. It's humankind. We've made up money. We've made up political systems. We've made up economic systems. These are, they're not, they're not things, I mean, borders, they're fictional things in the air. There's someone who's gone and driven, drawn a line around and says, well, that, that country behaves differently to the other country because we drew a line around it. And these things are not, and when you, when you, when you understand that and you read a lot of history and you go through, these very broad discussions around economies and around where those things came from, why money emerged, you realize, hang on, there are no real rules. So don't, don't restrict yourself to what society should think of you, how it should be. You've got a lot of rules. I mean, I had a lot of rules in my head about how I wanted to be, and I realized actually those rules, I don't want them anymore. Hmm. I wanted to be a different kind of, kind of being. So... I really, I would encourage reading a lot of history. I would, I would encourage reading a lot about how things came about because you start to realize where these things come from and that most of them are just human, they're human design things. And once you understand that they're not hard and fast scientific facts, that they change, they evolve, it, it's very liberating. You're like, jeez, man, I don't need to believe in that. I can actually believe in this. So I really prefer it to be like that. Mm. And you go and it's a very liberating thing. And I think the last thing is, is I mean, I, I think writing things down and journaling for me has been very, very transformative. It really has helped. It's, I don't do it enough, 
Um, and for me, I think writing down what helped me is writing down how I want to be in the world, how I want, how I want to show up. You know, I've got 26, 27 different things that I look at them and I read them every couple of weeks. I read them and they are my, my true north. And they might change a little bit over time, but it gives me a sounding board to look back on and say, well, I, I always like this. And I, how does that stack up against those things? I behave like that. How does it stack up against those things? And yeah, understanding there are no rules, understanding exactly how you want to be. I think those are two very cool things to have. Um, it gave me a sense of ease. It gave me a sense of freedom. It gave me a sense of um, grounding as well um, in myself. Um, I think that was very helpful. I um, I think on that note, Swags, I think that is a, a beautiful ending um, to to sort of wrap up this this conversation. Uh, I I've got a whole journal, man, full of notes that you've spoken <laughs> about right now, and I can't wait to just dig a little bit deeper and apply, and you know, ultimately write a bit more about certain things that you've brought up that I find exceptionally interesting. Um, but I want to thank you for for spending some time with me this morning and sharing a bit of your story. It's it would have been fantastic getting to know. The, the, the humanity behind Brett's bargain to get uh, right. a look under the hood a little bit more. Um, I really appreciate your time. Appreciate thank you very much. Well, thank you for having me. Um, it's been super, I love, yeah, it's, it's a cool, cool conversation. Unfortunately, it has to be about me, but um, I hope it was, hope it was interesting and, and yeah, I hope there's some nuggets. Definitely so. Some, some resonance with, with, with your audience. Oh. Like things that they experience. Without a doubt. I can, I can promise you that now. Um, a large part of what I've found is that those that do listen to share a very similar mindset, have very similar stories. So the, the, the relation is, is almost given prior to, to starting the episode. And uh, I think what you've, cool. what you've included in our conversation has just been phenomenal. So thank you again. Thank you. We'll chat to you soon. Yeah, sure. Thanks, dude. Cheers. Hey, guys. Matt here again. Just before you run off, thank you for lending me your ears and tuning in once again. I hope that you enjoyed the conversation. And, of course, I would love to hear any sort of feedback you might have. You can do so through all forms of social media, really. I've probably spammed enough about that or through my email, which is outcomepodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you and even to say hello. Uh, For those that have any advice on long distance recording, please feel free to share and send through a few links as well. I am an open book and am willing to learn. Uh, As usual, if you have any other news, please pass it through. And if you haven't yet subscribed or shared the podcast via the very many links that you could potentially find it on, I encourage you to do so too. Uh, Looking forward to hearing from you. And until then, cheers.